everyone and welcome to Murder Most Gruesome. So we've had a little bit of a break but we are pleased to announce that we are back and yes and we just wanted to thank everyone who's been in contact with us regarding their spooky stories and we're in the process of creating a listeners episode full of these interesting tales. And if you'd like your story included in these then please email these to murdermostgruesome at gmail.com that's murdermostgruesome at gmail.com and hopefully we'll be able to include these in one of our future podcasts because it's been quite popular we've got we've had a really good response we've picked out some of them and obviously when you uh, when you send in the tales if you want some people might want to be anonymous but obviously we'll be mentioned you know it'll be a name mentioned as well so that's always nice to hear yeah absolutely uh, so yeah, we've had a break a few months now. There's been a lot going on in both our lives. I think you've you've got a promotion, haven't you, Andrea? It's been crazy. I've actually got a new job working for the ambulance service. I've started that and been getting used to that. So we have we have had a bit of a break and we've kept we kept seeing the downloads on, on Podbean where we which is our platform for our podcast, our main platform. We've been seeing how many people downloading them, how many people listening to them, and I've actually kept saying to you, we need to really start again. We need to get ourselves in that mindset, getting getting a few episodes uh, in the bank, writing a few episodes, uh, so we can we can post some more and 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 people who are listening to them got more to download. Yeah. So again, so Yvonne said thank you, but also. Um, I'd like to say thank you for all your downloads and love that you've been showing us. We're really grateful for it. We, we are really grateful because we started this and we didn't know, you know, how popular it'd be. Whether there, there are lots of uh, crime podcasts out there, so it's nice to know that we're yeah, we've been listening thank you for to. listening, guys. Okay, so now we're back with a crime that is truly awful. Um, not just because of just the crime. But how one of them could have been saved if witnesses had intervened, yeah, really. Yeah, at least one of them. And when I was doing the research for this case, it reminded me, and I don't know, I'm not going to get a name, um, I'm not going to get a name pronounced right, I think, but is, is it Kitty Genovese, Genovese um, who was uh, some, a murder victim in, I think it was New York City, and I've I've read the I've read about the crime before, and, and I think it's one that I might like to actually do, and there's been, there's been some documentaries written on it but she was attacked uh, by someone that were in front of an apartment building late one or late one night early one morning and lots of people heard her being attacked and thought oh well someone else will call the police and the attacker actually went and then came back and carried on attacking her so and there's an element of this to this crime where you know if people yeah. would have Intervene. Intervene, took it upon themselves, then maybe at least one of the victims might might have been saved and the perpetrator might and it was the first one as well. Yeah. So well, the first known known one and so spoiler alert, this is an unsolved crime, so the perpetrator has never been caught. If someone had intervened on this first one, he might have been caught. He might they might have even got a a, a description, a, a a number plate, and um, at least three children died in this series of murders That's that we know so about. Sad. The alphabet murders, as it's known, um, they're also called the double initial murders, and they are a series of murders of children that remain unsolved to this day. And they happened about 
over 50 years ago between 1971 and 1973 in Rochester, New York, which is, that's before, I'm 45 and I was born in 1978, so... Before we were born. Before both of us were born. I mean, the perpetrator now, they'd be quite old because, I mean... Both of us, like you've just said, you know, neither of us were born then. So depending on how old they were when they did the crime, yeah. there's, there could even be a chance that he's not even alive anymore, or they're not even alive anymore. Yeah, either that or they'd be very old anyway. Yeah, and even, so really, that means that there's not going to be really anyone pu- punished for these crimes, are No, they? no, they've gone unpunished, really. The reason that these are referred to as the alphabet murders is because, chillingly, all three of the victims, and they were girls aged 10 or 11, and their surnames all began with the same letter as that of their first name. Their bodies were then discarded in or near a town whose name began with the same letter as the victims' names. So the name, the letter of the first name, the letter of the surname, and the letter of the place where they were found all was the same letter. And that's like crazy coincidence. It is, isn't it? it? Uh, we were talking about how many people do you know who's who's like we've got one. We had a family member, Jean Johnson. Yeah. But but she were married. To be fair, yeah, yeah. these were girls. These were their given names, but. It is quite unusual. We couldn't think of many examples. They they all they were all sexually assaulted and then they were murdered by manual or ligature strangulation. And, and this whole thing, it makes my hair on the back of my neck stand up. It is it's really a bit of a freaky coincidence. Um, now, if it isn't a coincidence, then that shows massive amount of planning and not maybe just in the case of wrong place, wrong time with the victim. Yeah, so you're, you're saying that, like, too, it would just be too much of a coincidence for first name, last name, and the place they were found all to begin with the same letter. Yeah, and, and maybe and, one child, but if these were just yeah, crimes of opportunity... Great. Yeah, it completely. Would, yeah. So the first victim was a young girl called Carmen Colon, and I hope I've pronounced that right yeah i think it doesn't i don't know how else you'd say it yeah from rochester who was 10 years old at the time of her death and she she went well she was went missing was killed on the 16th of november 1971 now she was from puerto rico originally and this particular day she'd been sent on an errand by her grandma at about 20 past four in the afternoon to the pharmacy on west main street but she got to the store and the pharmacist had told her that the prescription that she was supposed to collect wasn't yet processed. She, she told the shop owner, I have to go, I have to go. And she was, la- she was seen then walking through a car park that was close by the pharmacy. Jumped to about under an hour later, scores of motorists that were driving along the interse- Interstate 490 saw Carmen running from a vehicle and it was believed by police from descriptions to be a Ford Pinto and it was reversing and she was she was running from this car that was reversing she was naked from the waist down and and this is what breaks my heart she was trying to flag down cars and waving her arms frantically so this is that's really awful i mean we've covered cases before haven't we yeah witnesses have witnessed a crime like abductions and they've not realized it and 
for example, we covered the Australian girls. The two girls were abducted from Adelaide Oval and people saw what had happened, but they just thought it was grandparent with a child. And it wasn't until later that they'd actually realised what they'd actually what they'd seen. That instead of seeing like grandparent telling a grandchild off, yeah. there was actually an abduction that was happening. And you can understand it. I mean, it's awful, but there is definitely something wrong when you see... Yeah, and... A naked child. I mean, that's not that's not a grandparent from a taking car. a kid off. Is yeah, it? I mean, she's not she's not five year old, or you'd think would be having a bit of a weeb outside at road, or a parent had been. She just kind of like pulled out of a parent's grass, which might be something I think. Yeah, but a ten year old. That's wrong. That just sets off alarm bells, and and the people witnessed that and didn't stop. I hope you know. I do hope that they didn't I've, sleep right for the rest of their lives. I've I never do. No, I, I don't think. And then these people probably either like they abducted himself very old or dead by this point. But it, it's it's not. That's not normal. That's not something that you drive past and think I would stop for that. Yeah, and I mean, can you imagine, I mean, if you're the person, the perpetrator, and that's happened, how much balls do you have to have yeah. to actually stay around and hang around after that she's been, after she's escaped and waving people? How much... And get out of the car and follow her because she'd look at her and then look at that person. I mean, I suppose when you're getting home from work, you're driving past, this is rush hours. Yeah. Four, I mean, it was, she was last seen at 4.20, it was under an hour, so you talk about five, ten past five. You know, people are busy thinking about getting home, but, you know, if you see that, you're going to look twice. Yeah. Um, oh my god, yeah. So, and, and at least one of these people then observed Carmen being led submissively back to the car. Oh, God. So she was eventually reported missing about 7.50pm to the police by her parents uh, when she didn't come home from the pharmacist. Unfortunately, two days later, two teenage boys came across Carmen's partially nude body in a gully not far from Interstate 490 and very close to the village of Churchville. Okay. So that begins with a C, as, a, as does uh, a Cam, first Colin, name, Colin, surname. Yeah. yeah. So this was along the same road she was seen running on. So it's the interstate, far 90 was where the, the motorist had seen her, get, you know, escaping. It was about 12 miles away from there. Now, 300 foot from, from the body, her coat was found in a culvert. And then her trousers were found about two weeks later, close to the service road where all the motorists saw her trying to escape her abductor. Mm. So she'd obviously, been, bottom half had been stripped there. You know, the rest of her clothes must have been stripped when, when she got to the, I don't want to say dump site, but, you know, got to the deposition site, might be a better way of saying it. Obviously, given that, you know, she was found without her trousers, um, during the autopsy that was performed, it was found that she'd been raped. This is a 10-year-old girl, remember. She had a fractured skull and fractured vertebrae that she'd been strangled to death. And she'd also sustained multiple scratches made by, like, fingernails over her body. Oh, my God. There was a huge public outrage regarding this murder, and especially the fact that people saw the abduction and did nothing. Two New York newspapers at the time, the Times Union and the Democrat and Chronicle, they initially offered a combined reward of £2,500 for information that led to the arrest and conviction of her murderer. When all the information that each public publication received was relayed to the police, um, numerous, and that's a lot of money, $2,500. Oh it was 
it's a lot of money now. Talking about 50 years ago, numerous local businesses and residents also added private donations to the reward fund and this actually led to the sum to exceed $6,000. Oh my God. And although police interrogated several suspects in the months following her murder, um, all were cleared of her involvement. And by December the 21st, um, the number, so about a month later, the number of investigators assigned to the case on a full-time basis was decreased to only three people working on it. I and just looked up, I know you're still talking, but I just yeah. looked up and it's equivalent to about nearly $45,000 nowadays. Wow, that is a huge, that is, huge reward, isn't that it? That is a huge reward. Five billboards, which measured 30 foot by 12 foot, were erected along some of the major roads around Rochester, and these had an eight-foot picture of Carmen and had a headline, Do You Know Who Killed Carmen Colon? These were given one month free by the Rochester Outdoor Advertising Company who must have owned them. They offered the, you know, they offered the six thousand uh, dollar reward, and obviously, again, remember it's nineteen seventy two. It's a lot of money, dollars now, for information leading to the arrest and conviction of a murderer. And although, and although this led to several leads, uh, they didn't lead to any serious lines of inquiry. Right. So it, it went cold, really, even given the so reward sad. money. Yeah. So we're going to put some photos of Carmen um, and the billboards on our Facebook page, So Murder Most Gruesome. So please like and follow our pages and show us some love. Yes, please, because that does help us. Oh, that it does. Help it us really keep helps producing, us. yeah. Now, if we fast forward 17 months, the next young girl, Wonder Walkowitz, yeah, Walkowitz. Walkowitz was out running an errand buying some food for her mum. And it was around 5pm, so around about the same time. Yeah that um, Carmen went missing and it was now the 2nd of April 1973 so she'd been to a delicatessen and left at 5.15 and then to set off home walking down Conkey Avenue and her mum Joyce reported her missing at 8pm Yeah. so the police immediately took it seriously and launched an extensive search to locate her almost 50 detectives searched several square miles including her home um, and areas where she'd like to play around the delicatessen, where she'd like where she'd gone to buy the food, but no trace of it could be found. And although the police did find witnesses who had seen her struggling with her grocery bag, bags just north of the imaginatively named Avenue B, um, three of her friends saw her bracing the bags on a fence, trying to like adjust a grip. You know, like when you. You, the grip on your ham, your bags yeah. are really heavy and digging into it. So seeing her adjusting that, um, bracing her bag on the fence and trying to kind of like get a better hold of her bags. Um, and as a brown vehicle had driven past her. And the following day, her fully clothed body was found by the police officer at the bottom of a hillside on an access road to State Route 104 in Webster. Now, this was about seven miles from where she disappeared. And how her body was positioned suggested to the police that she was thrown from a moving vehicle. I know how awful, just thrown out like a piece of rubbish. Several defence wounds indicated Walkowicz had fought her murderer and in addition her body had been redressed after her death. So the autopsy also revealed traces of semen and pubic hair on her body 
and also in addition to that they found some white cat fur which they'd found um on her clothing and her her family didn't have any pet with fur this color so as had been the case with cam and colon investigators established an anonymous telephone hotline in addition to distribution distributing numerous flyers throughout Rochester appealing for information and a reward of $10,000 for information leading to the arrest and the conviction of the Walkowitz murder was also established. These police inquiries produced an eyewitness who informed investigators that as Walkowitz had walked home from the delicatessen on the evening of the April the 2nd, he had observed the child standing alongside the passenger door of a large brown vehicle, talking to the driver. The eyewitness was unable to obtain a clear view of the occupant of the vehicle. And although so the, the driver? Of the driver, yeah. yeah. So the driver who they suspect might... Well, brown van, we'd seen the brown yeah. van before, hadn't we? So although the location of his sighting was just two-tenths of a mile from her home, another individual um, who contacted the investigator following the installation of the anonymous hotline informed investigators she had observed a man forcing a red-haired girl matching her description, well, Walkowitz's description, into a light-coloured Dodge Dart on Conkey Avenue between 5.30 and 6.30pm on the evening of her disappearance. Now, the Rochester Police Department dismissed any suggestion of a link between the murders of Colon and Walkowitz, and although a sheriff's sergeant who had been assigned to investigate Colon's murder, by this stage her murder had, was still open, although largely in an active mm. case, reassigned, was reassigned to the task force implemented to investigate the murder of Walkowitz. So they've got some of the same, some of the same yeah. staff, so I suppose that would help. I, I can't imagine how... They and maybe it's a bigger area than where I live, but that you've got one child going missing at, at about five a.m. from at five p.m. walking home from somewhere, and eighteen months later another child go of the same age goes missing around the same time. How that they didn't think that there was links? No, I mean the the way they were murdered was well. Yeah, and and, and although assaulted. I suppose there's differences. Um, but maybe it was panicking if it was the first, but to dress her again. And they can always seem to tell, uh, somebody once told me, you can always tell when somebody's been redressed after they've been dead. It's just a certain way to dress, the clothes don't fit right. Right. Um, now, seven months later, so this is a third young girl, on the evening of November the 26th, 1973, 11-year-old Michelle... Mayenza was reported missing by her mother, Carolyn, after she failed to return home from school. Now, subsequent investigations would determine that Mayenza was, or Michelle, was last seen by her classmates at approximately 3.20pm, walking on her own um, en route to a shopping plaza located close to a school, with, she was going to get, you know, collect a purse her mother had left inside a store, inside the star earlier that day. So, as the mother had asked her to pick this up on the way home. Now, approximately 10 minutes later, so that would make it about half three in the afternoon, a witness observed Michelle sitting in the passenger seat of a beige or tan vehicle, travelling at high speed on Ackerman Street before turning onto Webster Avenue. And according to this witness, she'd been, she'd been crying. Uh, half, about half five, so about two hours later, 
A motorist observed a man standing by a large beige or tanned vehicle with a flat tyre parked along Route 350 in the town of Walworth, holding a girl he strongly to believe, so this witness afterwards, uh, strongly believed to be Michelle by the, uh, by the wrist. Now, when this motorist has stopped to offer him help, uh, the, the, the man had deliberately grabbed the girl, pushed her behind his back and stood so that his licence plate was obscured from the motorist's view and he just stared at him with a really menacing expression um, so that the motorist just felt compelled to drive away. So this is another link to, there was something very similar in the Adelaide Oval where somebody saw something like this pulled up and the, the, the man stared at them in such a way yeah. that they, it upset them or, I mean, we don't know if it's a woman. I mean, it, that would be a big thing to get out if somebody was being aggressive towards you. I would like to think a man would... Have stand a, his ground. Stand his ground, not because he's a man, but because obviously, you know... Less of a risk. Less there. of the risk, Yeah. Now, her fully clothed body was discovered at half ten in the morning on November the 28th, so about two days later, laying face down in a ditch and it was on a rural road in Macedon, Macedon uh, which was about 15 miles away from Rochester. Now, when she had her autopsy, it was revealed that in addition to receiving extens extensive blunt force trauma to her body, uh, she'd been raped, strangled to death from behind with a ligature, maybe a thin rope, possibly. Now, there were, nu again, numerous strands of white cat fur were discovered upon her clothing and also leaf samples that matched the foliage where her body was discovered was recovered from within one of her clenched hands, indicating she'd likely mm. been strangled to death at or near the location where she was found. How awful. It's things mm. like that, I think, oh... To open a little hand and she's grabbed all the leaves at the time mm. of her death. It's just... So sad. Yeah, what an awful, awful way to go. I mean, it's a horrendous experience. You know, for a fully grown woman, it would be an awful experience. And, and for a, a 10, 11-year-old girl. girl, yeah. Now, they, um, investigators were able to retrieve a partial palm print from her neck. And there were traces of semen on her body and underwear. Now, a forensic analysis of the semen samples had showed that she'd been raped by just one person. And the analysis of the contents of her stomach, which this is interesting, revealed traces of hamburger and onions, which had been consumed approximately one hour before a murder. So this gave credence. So that this is after she went missing. Yeah. She, she must have eaten this. Now, it gives credence to earlier reports of a girl matching Michelle's description, having been seen in the company of a Caucasian man with dark hair, uh, between 35, 25 and 35, approximately 6 foot tall, and weighing about 75 kilograms or 165 pounds, whichever way you, know, you work that weight out. And they were at a fast food restaurant in the town of Penfield, uh, this was around about half far on the afternoon of her disappearance. And um, the, again, alongside Route 350. Um, local television network WOKR announced plans to broadcast a televised reconstruction of her murder, uh, of her abduction and recovery of her body. 
Now, it was a 30-minute episode and it was broadcast on the 21st of October and it was accompanied, obviously, by public appeals for witnesses to contact authorities. Now, this programme resulted in the Rochester Police Department receiving over about 200 calls from the public. Again, as with the others, no useful leads were gained. So, all the girls were laid to rest in the same cemetery in Rochester and Carmen's funeral was on November 22nd, 1971, and over 200 people, mourners, attended the funeral mass. Mm. Michelle's funeral was held at Corpus Christi Church um, on December 1st, 1973, and at the end of her service, her father, Christopher Manza, Manza told mourners, she was a sweet little girl, she didn't fight much. Oh. So whether that was... You know, in talking about, you know, that she wouldn't have fought against her, uh, her abductor, that I don't know, or, you know, how awful. It doesn't paint a picture of, paints a picture of a very vulnerable little girl, very, you know, very, you know, not very streetwise, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, at 10, I mean, at 10, like, how much confidence do you have to fight back with a complete stranger? It's almost like, I mean, I've been in situations where I've completely shut down. Yeah. As an adult, I've As been adults, so scared yeah. that I've kind of like completely shut down, no fight. And like some, and the first time it happens, you think, oh my God, if I was in a worse situation, which somebody mm. couldn't get me out of, what would actually happen? Mm. So to expect a 10-year-old yeah. or little girls to fight. Oh, Carmen looked like she was, uh, she did... So yeah, she ran, didn't she? Had she? A, she really did try, and, and it wouldn't have taken much for somebody to pull up, um, you know, pull up the car and, and grab her in, or, you know, it, it was so easy, yeah. could have gone a different way. Yeah. So, back to back to the story. As you can imagine, these mur the murders of these young schoolgirls caused a lot of public scrutiny and outrage and intense publicity. So following the murder of Michelle Menza, investigators re released a composite drawing of the individual seen with the child by numerous witnesses to the media. They also installed a hotline, telephone hotline, exclusively de devoted to the manhunt for the perpetrator, whom they strongly suspected had committed all three right, murders. Right, so they thought yeah. that now, yeah. Yeah, they're on those lines now. Um, anonymity. I don't. I never say that word right. Anonymity. Yeah, that, that's the one. Was again offered to any caller offering information, and a reward was again offered for any information leading to the arrest and the conviction of the perpetrator. And despite these efforts, um, the, despite these efforts and numerous calls from the public, there was no credible suspect located. Now, although investigators, investigators, mm -hmm. sorry interrogated more than 800 potential suspects in relation to the alphabet murders. The perpetrator, or perpetrators, of the homicides were never caught and the case remains unsolved. As each child hailed from a poor Catholic family, had few friends and had recently experienced issues such as bullying or poor academic performance at school, investigators have not discounted the possibility that the murderer may have been employed or held knowledge of the practices of a social service agency in his efforts to initiate contact with or to gain the trust of each victim. So again, that like harks back to you know, it, it was it were they random victims? You know, with the name thing. Yeah. Looking at the similarities between the girls or between the cases, all three victims were pre-adolescent females. 
Um, they had disappeared from Rochester in the early afternoon and they it was on days of either, well, rain, heavy or light rain, and but the bodies were later discovered within nearby towns, so 10, you know, 10 miles away, you know, a few miles yeah. away. Now, the body of each girl had been discovered either fully clothed or partially clothed, um, close to an expressway or a lo- at a location typically accessible by vehicles, and each victim had evidently been thrown from or carried from a car from a car to the location a body had been discarded. Mm. Now, each child was short in height for their age, um, and all three of the girls had unfortunately been raped before then being strangled to death. All three were known to be, and, and you know, this is just from the sources I've read, um, they were known to be somewhat lonely outcasts among the peers, not huge groups of friends, quite shy. And in part, like we touched on with Michelle, an analysis of the stomach contents of both um, Wendy Walkowicz and Michelle revealed both girls had um, ingested food shortly before their da- death which neither girl is known to have eaten prior to her disappearance. So no one has seen her or no one had... Nobody had fed her that. Yeah. I mean, really, when you talk about 10-year-olds, your parents are feeding you, so she didn't, they'd not fed them. And, and there was a few hours before, you know, there was a couple of hours yeah. between the, the time of death and when they went dis- when they disappeared. And the, um, the bodies of both girls had been redressed after death. Yeah. Now, both contemporary and current investigators have stated the possibility that each victim had been selected due to the double initials of their name they think is really extremely unlikely um, for an offender to pre-select his victims um, would likely to, to pre-select victims like this would likely involve stalking a victim over an extensive period of time thus increasing the risk of him being noticed Although, you know, if they're not going to notice you dragging a half-naked child back to your car, who's going to notice you just walking along the street behind one? You know, that's what that... You're talking about kids as well. I mean, they don't have a heightened sense of what's going on around them, do they? Yeah. It's not... They don't recognise certain cars or certain people that they've seen that day, yesterday and the day before. No, they don't. So... Uh, some investigators believe that they think maybe the murders of um, Wendy and Michelle, the second and third girl, was committed by the same individual who had lured the girls to the deaths. The overall um, MO of the murder of Carmen Colon ind- strongly indicates a murder had been committed by an individual known or possibly related to her, and we'll go look at the suspects in a second, uh, as opposed to an individual unknown to her and who has abducted her by force. So I don't know where I couldn't I couldn't read where that like why they'd come to that knowledge. Which bit? <coughs> that it was somebody she knew. Right. Um. Yeah. Because I don't know why would you run? Uh, why yeah. would you run from someone you knew? But then again, why would you not? Yeah. Okay. So there are some suspects. So the first one is Miguel Colon. Now in the case of Carmen Colon, her uncle, Miguel Colon, is considered by investigators to be a strong suspect in her murder. Miguel was her paternal uncle and following the separation of Colon's parents, he had formed a relationship with her mother. 
Guillemina. Now, typically on occasions, call on what the pharmacy to collect family prescriptions. And she'd been accompanied by her grandfather, Felix, although on the date of her disappearance, Colon had pleaded with her grandparents to be allowed to walk to the pharmacy oh. unaccompanied. So, but this isn't the first time where, you know, it's the first time the child gets to, and it's, it's a hard one. I mean, my children are teenagers now, but mid-teenagers, but it, it's that, what point do you let them have that more freedom? Yeah. At what point is... Is it appropriate to give them a bit more freedom? And it, it was always really hard to gauge because you want to protect them forever, but you, you also don't want, want to give them yeah. a bit of street smarts, a bit of experience. And, and I found that quite hard. My children in England, you are where we live. Anyway, in England, it is you have a primary school up to the age of 11, and then 11 to 16, it's high school. And really in in up and in primary school up to 11 you kind of collect your children drop them off collect them and we lived a bit further away so we weren't you know it, they couldn't walk to school at that age so that they, they were dropped off and picked up from primary school and then they went to high school and they're walking home and, and mm. i couldn't and they didn't they weren't the child after school clubs that and i found that quite hard all of a sudden they were walking home and i didn't feel like they were mature enough for that but if they had friends and they wanted to do it and obviously everything was okay but yeah it, I it's mean, a hard one as well if like there was a suggestion that she was being followed she was being stalked mm. then that first time whether it was that day mm. the following week the following month yeah it would have happened yeah you, it <laughs> If not then, maybe, you know, if not then, then yeah, later. exactly. If, if it's not a wrong place, wrong time, yeah. you know, it, w- it would have, it would have been, it would have been a time where he'd have, would it, where he would have just taken her and it'd have, it'd have been quiet or it should have gone down a quiet street and it took his chance. Yeah. So just weeks prior to Colan's abduction and murder, her uncle is known to have purchased a car closely matching the vehicle seen by eyewitnesses reversing upon Interstate 490 in pursuit of the child. Investigators did conduct a search of his vehicle shortly after Colon's murder and discovered that the interior and exterior of the car had been extensively cleaned. Suspicious. Mm. No, I'm not saying, just saying that I would find that as a police officer quite suspicious. And that the trunk had been washed with strong cleaning solution. Questioning of the dealership, which had recently sold the vehicle to Miguel, revealed that the trunk had not been washed with detergent prior to the sale. Right. So, couldn't blame, kind of like, just bought it, it was done, blah, blah, blah. So, moreover, a doll belonging to the child was found in his car. And although Colon's relatives informed the investigators that she'd frequently travelled in Miguel's vehicle and may have left this toy in his car. So according to a friend, two days after the death of his niece, Miguel had informed him of his intention to leave the country as he had done something wrong in Rochester. And he relocated from Rochester to Puerto Rico just four days after the murder of his niece. Right. Um, so investigators did travel to San Juan. San Juan, We'll Apologies, names. But yeah, yeah. We we are apologising um, to question Miguel in March 1972. 
although local newspapers have published articles detailing police intentions to question him, resulting oh. in Miguel fleeing from authorities. That really helps, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, hey, yeah. There you go, we're just announcing. Yeah, police going just to here's a heads up. Yeah, yeah. police are after, yeah. But Miguel surrendered to authorities on March 26th and agreed to be extradited back to Rochester to face questioning. Miguel Colon was unable to provide credible alibis for his movements on the day of his niece's murder and no individual could be located to corroborate his claims regarding his whereabouts. And despite strong circumstantial evidence attesting to Miguel's guilt, no physical evidence was found at the crime scene or within his vehicle to link him to the murder. I remember this was the 1970s, so we're not talking about crime scene analysis that goes on today. You know, DNA wasn't a thing then, you know, they weren't aware of DNA. It was a thing, obviously. It's been a thing for a very long time, but yeah. they weren't aware of it. You know, it was very much at the beginning of crime scene analysis. Yeah. Now, Miguel Colon committed suicide in 1991 at the age of 44, following an incident of domestic violence in which he shot and wounded both his wife and his brother. Yeah. Prince among men. Yes. Nice man. Yeah. This one of the other suspects uh, that the police thought was credible was Dennis Tamini. He was considered a strong suspect, um, and he was a 25-year-old Rochester firefighter. Now he was a prolific serial offender, known as the Garage Rapist, and he was known to have committed a minimum of 14 rapes of teenage girls and young women between 1971 and 1973. He was known to have owned a beige vehicle, similar in description to the vehicle observed by several eyewitnesses to the abduction. And he lived at an address on Box Street, which is an address close to the area where Michelle was last seen alive. Now, five weeks after the death of the uh, final victim of the alphabet murders, on January the 1st, 1974, Tamini attempted to abduct a teenage girl at gunpoint and although he fled the screen when she she just kept screaming um so he ran off and uh, he shortly after he abducted another potential victim although on this occasion he was pursued by police culminating in him committing suicide by shooting himself in the head they looked at they did a forensic examination of his vehicle it did reveal traces of white cat fur on the upholstery Ooh. which was found on the second and third uh, victim now in january 2007 uh, his body was exhumed to obtain a dna sample for, for comparison with the semen samples recovered from Malkwitch's body now the results of this test confirmed that he was not responsible for a murder Right. Um, however, no physical evidence retrieved from the bodies of um, Carmen or Michelle exists for comparison with his DNA. Right. They're kind of quite happy that he what he didn't have anything to do well, with Wendy's mer- well rape. So the next suspect is Kenneth Bianchi. Probably again Bianchi, saying, yeah. saying that wrong. Sorry, guys. And he was, like I said, another suspect in the Alphabet Murders. And at the time of the murders, he worked as an ice cream vendor in Rochester. Well, he was like, a, he was a hill, wooden hills trying to strangle us, wasn't he? I'm kind of being, so, yeah. And he is known to have worked at locations close to the first few murder scenes. Bianchi had relocated from Rochester to LA 
I was going to say Los Angeles, then I went to yeah. LA last second. La, la, la. La, la, la. To LA, LA, did it again, in January 1976. And between 1977 and 1978, he and his cousin, Angelo Werner Jr., committed the Hillside Strangler murders of 10 girls and young women between the ages of 12 and, tw- and 28. So slightly a bit older than these girls. Now, one was 11, their youngest was 12. So he was never charged with the Bianchi, he was never charged, obviously, as we know, with the alphabet murders, and he's absolutely denied any culpability in the homicide. He's repeatedly attempted to have investigators officially clear him of suspicion. However, while residing in Rochester, he is known to have driven a vehicle of the same colour and model as the vehicle seen um, near one of the abduction sites. Yeah. Joseph Naso in... April 2011, a 77-year-old man named Joseph Naso. Uh, Joseph Naso was arrested in Reno, Nevada for the murders of four women in California committed between 1977 and 1994, all of whom are believed to have been been prostitutes and each of whose surname began with the same letter as that of her first name. Now, he was a New York native and had lived in Rochester during the early 1970s and is known to have regularly travelled between New York and California. Now, he was initially described by authorities as a person of interest in the alphabet murders. DNA testing has confirmed that his DNA is not a match to semen samples recovered from the body of Wanda Welkowicz. Nanesa was brought to trial on June the 18th, 2013, charged with the murder of the four California alphabet murder victims. He was unanimously convicted of each murder on August the 20th. On the 22nd of November 2013, he was formally sentenced to death. That's that's the end of the potential um, suspects. Okay, so the aftermath of this case is, in 1995, the mother of Carmen Colon made her first public statement regarding to the, regarding the murder of her daughter. So over 20 years after, yeah. And in the interview, granted by Democrat and Chronicle reporter, Jack Jones, Guillermina Colon, Jack Jones, Guillermina Colon, stated that although she had lived her entire life in poverty, if she could have only one thing before her own death, it would be... Not be well, sorry, but knowing who had murdered her daughter, adding that if I could, or if I could die knowing who killed my Carmencita, Carmencita, yeah. I would die more peacefully than I've lived. It is the only thing I want in my life to know that this person had to pay for the terrible things he did to my little girl. If the person who did this could have any compassion, he would see the pain and the suffering of the families of these little girls have gone through for all this time. Yeah. Now, the Democrat and Chronicle newspaper published a series of articles focusing upon the ongoing police investigations into the alphabet murders in 2009, um, appealing for public information with a view to closing this case. Now, the articles resulted in the Rochester Police Department receiving approximately 20 new leads of inquiry, and although all re- leads received were pursued, none resulted in the apprehension or conviction of the perpetrator or perpetrators. Nonetheless, a police sp- spokesman has stated that Rochester Police Department r- remains committed to solving the case. But as we said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the, the likelihood now is it's either going to be a very old man or he's going to have already have died. 
What do you think then? Most likely. I know obviously we can't, we're not accusing anybody, but what, what would you, what do you think? I, I don't know, I don't think, but the, then the people, when I was looking at it, and it's like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like a, the, the suspects at the time, when they've tested against the DNA, they've not been, not, yeah. they've not been, well, so, yeah, so a lot of the suspects have been, and I suppose have been cleared after, you know, with the advancement of, D, uh, of DNA evidence. Um, I think it was, I think, I don't know, I, I'm, I think it's hard, I think it's, I don't believe in the coincidence of the, the alphabet names like that, yeah. um, but obviously the person, the, the man who were convicted of the, the ones where it was prostitutes with the same thing, I think his DNA didn't match, did it, so... But you'd also think from that, to me, they go, they go from a low state, high stake, and mm. high state being a child. Yeah. You build up yeah. to whereas... And also, you know, there was no other murders. And, well, there were no attributed to the same person, to the same, like, series. Mm. So, you know, has that person just given up or stopped yeah. or what have they done? I mean, it is very high risk. You would think as well. I mean, obviously they have this killer semen, DNA yeah. semen on a database. So surprising that in today's day and age with all these, like... Genetic, Find, yeah, yeah, genetics, finding your history. Some, I bet it would not surprise me if at some point they find a familiar, familial link. Yeah, familial link. I think when it just used to be, there used to be DNA and it used to be if somebody had been arrested for a crime, yeah. it was like one of your relatives. You know, you might not have any relatives that have been invest, arrested and had the DNA taken, but now with these these DNA where you send off your DNA to see who your relatives are. You know, people are more likely to do yeah. You're going to hit a wider net from that. So, And what are you going to do? Put on your Christmas card. Yeah, please don't. Please don't, please don't go nobody to... Nobody give the DNA, please. I'll get <laughs> in trouble. Love. I've done our family tree. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I, I don't know. I, I think... I do think the uncle was a... Um, is, is quite a genuine suspect for yeah. Carmen's... You know, had he got with mum to abuse her? Had he... It didn't seem, you know... But yet the second two of the white cat first. So it's... Yeah, I think it's somebody completely different. I think it's not someone... The people were, when I was reading about the suspects, I thought, oh, that sounds... Then, like I say, a couple of them have been ruled out. Because uh, of the DNA. Comparison with the DNA, so... Nothing. I I think I think it's going to be someone. I think I do think it might be likely about the brother. He left yeah. town. The brother. Of, well, his, his her uncle, should I say? But uh, apart from that, I haven't got any. Um, no. I, 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 what about you? I don't know that. Did they say that? I'd, I've forgotten now. They said that the DNA tested. What about that Bianca, the Hillside Strangler? Yeah, Have they think, tested his DNA. Yeah, they'll have his DNA. Yeah, so I, I should imagine. Words. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And we're sorry, we again, we are sorry we've left it so late, so long between podcasts, and we will try and get another one out as soon as yeah, possible. Yeah, again, up, up and out regularly again. So, and if you could share your love and follow us and like us on our social media platforms, writing again, um, you know, so we've got some more ghost stories or creepy tales, send those in to us at Murder Most Gruesome at gmail.com we're on facebook murder most gruesome 
and you know like and share us there and comment we'll, we'll, we'll post some of the things we've mentioned in this podcast for yep. example the composite drawing the billboard photos of the, the victims and i think that's all for this podcast yep so thank you very much for listening okay. and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me bye bye